Hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of God's Little Hummingbird, where we are going through the scriptures in the Bible. And we are in Genesis chapter 4. So if you haven't been able to listen to Genesis chapters 1 through 3, please go back and do so. Please hit the subscribe button. Make sure you give us a good rating and continue to join in as we explore the Word of God. Now, don't forget, we also have a Facebook page where we'd love to connect with you. Um, over on God's Little Hummingbird on our Facebook page. So with that being said, let's go ahead and begin chapter four in the book of Genesis. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from Yahweh. Remember, if you haven't heard our other, if you haven't heard our other episodes and you won't know, but when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the Hebrew where in Hebrew it says Yod He Vav He, which are the transliterated letters of Y H V H, which we would pronounce as Yahweh. So, if you've ever heard the word Hallelujah, the Yah at the end there is shortened for Yahweh's name, and Hallel means praise. So, praise Yahweh is what you're literally saying when you're saying Hallelujah. Praise Yah. So it's like his nickname, so to speak. Now, one side note, some people believe that the name was Yehovah, or how they pronounce in English, Jehovah. I can prove to you that is completely false because the Masoretic texts, the Masoret scribes, I apologize, the Masoret scribes confess and acknowledge that they themselves changed the name of Yahweh to Yehovah in order to prevent people from saying the sacred name. The way in which they did so was they took the Yod, He, Vav, He, and Hebrew is read right to left, so it's the Y-H-V-H sound, and they put the vowel points for the word Adonai, which translates as sovereign or Lord, they put those vowel points, which are equivalent to our vowel sounds, but they are more of a, of a point and you don't have to include them in the writing of a word. They are often not seen in Hebrew even. But anyway, the vowel sound points that they had on Adonai, they put those points backwards on Yodei Vav did it in the opposite direction, and so they made up the word Yehovah. And that is how they got that name. And in the prophets, we are warned that that was a bad thing. The Lord Yahweh says um, that the leaders have caused the people to forget his name. And that's a bad thing, he says. So I think it's very important. You do hear some people say Yahweh. That again is a transliteration and a dialectical change when they went through a difference between the Ashkenazi and the Sephardic Jews. So some people say Yahweh, some people say Yahweh. Technically, the Vav there is typically pronounced V as in David, David and other words like that. So I go with Yahweh, but it's not necessarily wrong. It's just a little dialectical change to say Yahweh. There are some people who say Yahuwah. I firmly believe that is not correct in all of my studies and research. And I could be incorrect. I, you know, I don't, none of us are perfect on anything, but I don't use the word Yahuwah or Yehoshua. Yehoshua for is actually not that different than Yeshua for the word Jesus because Yehoshua is Joshua and Yeshua um, would be Jeshua and it's very, very 
they're very similar and they have the root word of salvation both in them. And so either one of those may be correct. There's another one that I can't even remember what people say, um, Yahushua or something like that. I don't even know, but, but I don't, I don't believe those are the accurate pronunciations based on all my research. But again, like I said, none of us technically know for 100% certain since many of the Hebrew words, I mean, it became a dead language. I mean, there were obviously the Hebrew scripts that were kept intact and the Dead Sea Scrolls prove all of that, that many of the Hebrew scripts were not changed and they were in their entirety very similar to what was found thousands of years later. So that is wonderful for us. And if you haven't seen the Dead Sea Scrolls, by the way, my husband and I were able to go down to Denver and see them at the museum. It was amazing, beautiful, amazing, just just to see and be so close to something that was um, kept and in, in, in trans, transcribed by the scribes and written and sealed in these in these little vessels that kept the air and moisture just the right content so that they would be preserved was just so amazing. And it felt like a little bit of connection to our Savior because the people who had written the Dead Sea Scrolls actually were alive right around that time of the Messiah of Yeshua. And so it just was a really neat, a neat experience. And so if you haven't been able to see them, I would definitely suggest doing so. I don't know if they're still on tour in the USA or if they're in Israel back in the, um, in the museum where they are kept. I'm not sure, but I would definitely say, try to see them if you can. They're amazing. So I apologize for the long, long offshoot there of how the word of the the name of our actual God because he actually has a name and how it came to be what it is um, and how it came to be called Lord right there instead of Yahweh and Yehovah and all those things so neat little history divergent I'm going to read it again so we start over since it was only one verse and because there's some other things in there I want to talk about now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said I have acquired a man from Yahweh the word there for Adam, again, is the word man, Adam, okay? And then the word for Eve is the word Chava, and Chava has in it the root word for life. So she's the mother of all life. And the word that is new, so now Adam knew Eve, and we all know that that means that she, they had sexual relations. That word new there is Yada. And in Hebrew, the word for hand is yad. And there's even a letter, the yod, that we just talked about in the tetragram, the four letters of Yahweh's name, that looks like a hand. It's really amazing. And so, now when we say, now Adam knew Eve, it actually, that word knew there is yada. And it comes from, and it has a root word in the word for hand. And it really means to have this intimacy with. Just like people say the saying to know it like the back, I know it like the back of my hand. That is what a wife is supposed to be to her husband. She is supposed to be known like the back of his hand. And that's how we are supposed to be with our Messiah. And we are supposed to be known like the back of his hand. And of course, to be known by him, it specifically says we must obey him. And again, for a wife to kind of be pleasing to her husband and to quote, be known by him, she really must be pleasing to him. And again, it comes back to that oneness we talked about in our previous session, where there's a oneness that God desires 
the husband and wife to have. They're not actually one being, but they have one purpose, one vision. They build each other up. They have the same focus. They don't cause each other harm. And Proverbs 31 talks about this with the noble wife of good character. And this is how the father and the son are. There are two separate entities. We've talked about the word Elohim being plural. It's the plural version of gods. But they are also one in that in Elohim, you see there's plural, but it's one word. It's translated as God because I do believe some of the translators understood that there was a one purpose, a one vision in this God unit that we have. At the same point, (laughs) there are two separate entities, the Messiah part of the father that he sent to earth and that he is sending again to earth and the father who no one has seen the face of. So it's a really powerful word. And so the relations between a husband and wife are very similar to a spiritual connection we are to have with Yahweh. And it may sound odd to those of you if you're coming from a very strong religious background and you haven't yet experienced that born again relationship, that awakening in your soul that really does feel like that first time. That intimacy, that bareness, that feeling completely raw with Yahweh where you feel so exposed yet you're glowing and you just know it's so right and you fall completely in love with your Savior and your and in Yahweh Elohim. It's it's really an amazing thing. And and if you haven't yet experienced that, if you haven't if you don't quote oh, Yada <laughs> Yahweh yet, if you don't know him yet, just message me, PM me on our Facebook page at God's Little Hummingbird and I will pray with you. You can call me my um, or message me or talk to me somehow I think all my information's on there if not I'll get it to you if you message me and I would love to talk with you because I was raised I'm a blood Jew who my family were Levites we were Kohen switched our last name to (laughs) K-N-E-L-S if you know Hebrew it's K-N stands for the Kohen the E-L stands for the God that's how they hid their name my family then became um um I'm trying to think of the word right now. Guys, bear with me. Mennonites. And then they became evangelical Christians. Now, as Mennonites, they were at first okay because the Mennonites were Anabaptists. So my family would not celebrate Christmas and Easter or any of the pagan holidays. Either were the Anabaptists because they understood that those things all came from the Babylonian religious system. And therefore, they rejected them until I think it was the late 1500s. And then and then around that time, they caved in and gave way, gave in to the Antichrist spirit and beca- began doing the pagan holidays. So my family at that point obviously began, began doing the pagan holidays as well. And they adopted eventually the evangelical Christian roots. And in that church, even though I knew I met my Savior there and I knew God had a lot of people there and still has a lot of people there I'm assuming I'm sure there's a deadness that you just feel and so then my family went to a Pentecostal church for a short time and I remember feeling amazed and I could feel the spirit of Yahweh I remember knowing he was trying to speak through me in tongues but at the same point I could sense the spirit of wrongness there as well so I felt this awakening. I felt this draw to have more spirit and to know my Savior more. But I was really nervous because 
evangelical Christians, you don't raise your hand to God. You sit on the pew, you <laughs> do everything with bribery 15 minute interval, you follow that little pamphlet you're given <laughs> when you get your itinerary when you get to church, and then you hurry up and leave and go home, or you go watch the football game and you have dinner together, whatever you do. So you don't really have that relationship where you revel in the, the intimacy with God and you worship together. And then you go to the Assemblies of God, and then you see people who are barking like dogs, hanging from chandeliers, and you say, okay, this cannot be the Spirit of God because it's supposed to be intelligible and edifying, but you understand that some of them do have the Spirit of God, and so you feel this movement, and you see miracles. I saw healings. I saw miracles. I felt it, but I became very confused. My family, I think in a way, I was blessed. They, be, they stopped going to church when I was in eighth grade, and then God started calling me back to Him when I was in college, and of course I tried to go to church and everyone was very hypocritical and mean to me. I was really shocked not one person said hi to me. Then again, I think it was God protecting me, but not one person said hi, and I went home. Literally, I got in my car and started bawling the entire way home because I'd gone to a course to an Assemblies of God church because at least I felt a little bit more life with those, and so I was in Minnesota, in St. Peter, Minnesota, and I went to this church one Sunday. I said, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to get my life right. And boy, they were very rude. (laughs) And I had tried the campus ministries on on campus and no, they were just not friendly people. Nobody would take me in. Nobody would be kind to me. Nobody would befriend me. And I felt very ostracized and alone. And so I went the complete opposite wrong direction. I would talk about Jesus while doing not very good things. And I believed in Jesus, but I didn't obviously understand this yada him. I was not pleasing him. I was living my own way. And then I had a near-death experience. Well, I've had had a few of those. I mean, growing up in a very home that condoned alcohol, I had had some very scary experiences with that. But I had literally said, they said I had 30 minutes left to live. And I was quite terrified. And I remember crying out to God, okay, you got to save me. I had a two-week-old baby, and I was terrified, terrified. I thought I was going to die, and I knew I was not right with him. So I had enough of the spirit in me to know that, ooh, I could go to hell right now. And then, of course, he did spare me, and I then went back to my ways, (laughs) did not give my life to him. But about a year and a half later, he finally got a hold of me. And he kept opening my Bible to verses that would say, um, if you break, therefore he who breaks one jot or tittle of the law will be least in the kingdom of heaven. And he kept leading me the song of songs and just falling in love with him. And he would open my Bible to Matthew 7, where it says, get away from me. I don't know. Get a, when Jesus says to those, get away from me. I don't know you, you who don't obey the law. And it would terrify me because... I had been to church enough where I had heard them say, we don't have to obey the law, like Satan whispering in the ear. Remember we talked about last chapter? Did God really say that you have to obey that (laughs) forever? And that's what Satan had whispered, of course, to me. And I had bitten the apple and believed, or whatever fruit it was. And then all of a sudden, God just started cleansing me in a way that was huge. For 40 days, he struck me with something. (laughs) He had given me a dream. I'll back up. I'm sorry. He had given me a dream on a Thursday night. And in the dream, he came to me and said on Monday, the cigarettes that I was smoking needed to be out of my life. 
So all day Monday, I was very afraid because I had never had such an intimate dream from God. I had had prophetic dreams that I was kind of confused about and he would give me a dream and things would happen. Give me a dream, things would come true. Give me a dream, things would come true. But I didn't quite understand what was happening. And this dream though, I knew that he had come to me in that dream and I knew I had to get the smoking out. I knew something bad was going to happen because in the dream, he used it. He set it up in a little bit different way. He did all symbolism, but I knew when I woke up the interpretation that I had to get the smoking out of my life. Well, all day Monday, I didn't smoke, didn't smoke until 6 p.m. I made dinner and I thought, I'll just go outside and have one little drag of a cigarette. And I had that drag of a cigarette. My throat closed faster than you can imagine. It, I went into anaphylactic type shock and I could not catch a breath. Ran into the emergency room and I take a ton of Benadryl and anyway, I, the next morning I was terrified and I, and now at this point my son's a year and a half old and I hit my knees and I sat there by the computer and I said, Father God, what is going on? What is happening? I know you're talking to me. You keep opening to Matthew 5. You keep opening to Matthew 7. You keep telling me if I don't obey you, you know, what's going on, Father? And I had been kneeling at the stairs during that time too for weeks at this point saying, Father God, okay, I will be wrong anywhere if you will show me. Please show me where I'm wrong. I'll just follow you. And so on my computer, literally, I don't know even what I typed in, but right there, boom, it talked about the anaphylactic asthmatic reaction. And I had physically just heard the voice of God say, 40 days I will afflict you, but I will bless you in the wilderness. And I was a little confused because at this point, I was kind of wondering, am I crazy or is this God? And I heard 40 days I would be afflicted and I'll bless you in this wilderness. And I was, I knew it was God, but I still was had a little bit of a fear. And sure enough, on my computer popped up this anaphylactic allergic reaction type symptoms. And it said it could last anywhere from four, you know, or up to 42 days. And I was like, oh my goodness, well, that matches what God just said. Well... For 40 days, I physically could eat nothing other than homemade tortillas and jelly with no sugar. I could drink hot water with lemon and water. And I never touched another cigarette. And my body cleansed. And at the end of that 40 days, I felt like a new, new body had been given to me. I did not feel any effects of smoking. And granted, I was young still. I was like 25 years old. But at the same point, I had smoked for eight years. and But I just felt clear lungs. I didn't cough and I started running. Well, that lasted about two weeks. And then after the two weeks, all of a sudden we had gone to this conference in Colorado Springs and I had physically been touched by a spirit that was not of God. And I knew it was not of God. Cindy Jacobs had said the most profane thing I've ever heard. And she said, let us play with the spirit and have a little fun. First of all, that is sacrilegious, disrespectful, and not treating God as holy. And I stood there, and I remember thinking that sounded really weird. And she looked right in my direction and cast her hand out, as you would picture a witch sending her hand forward and flicking it at me. And I was physically picked up on my off of my feet and thrown into the person behind me. And I got up just shaking, and I heard... God say this was not my spirit. And then he gave me a dream and showed me. And on the way home from that conference, I literally heard his voice say no food for 13 days. And I was terrified. 
Because not al- not only am I a new believer at this point, I am, like as far as a new born again believer, I had never fasted. Not one day, not two days, not three days, and definitely not 13 days. So <laughs> I didn't tell my husband because I was a little afraid at first, but then I did tell him because my husband had been an atheist, then he had become a Christian, then he had become a pastor, and then he had become an atheist again because <laughs> he kept seeing they were teaching two different religions and he kept seeing in the Old Testament where it said to obey forever and that they would try to say in the New Testament that you don't have to, but their scriptures never ever actually said what they were trying to. So he just assumed the whole thing was made up. So anyway, sorry for that little side note. But anyway, so on day three of my fast, I thought, oh, well, maybe the Lord said three days. And I tried to have one little tiny bite of bread and my throat closed, so I spit it out immediately. And for those 13 days, he humbled me and stripped me. And even my husband said, wow, there's something different in you. I just feel this freedom and there's just this amazing softness on you. Well, on day 11, God had me run into this gentleman named Hale Harris, who was a very kind man. And I got done teaching my English class that night at the college. And I ran over to this meeting because I was late for this Bible study, but I knew God told me to go. And back up, during that 40 days that I had been afflicted and could only eat the tortillas, God kept telling me I was Ephraim, which is the northern tribes of Israel. We'll go through that later, but just keep this side point, that side note in mind as we travel through these scriptures. Anyway, he kept telling me I was Ephraim and that my family, that I was a Levite. He kept touching my forehead, a Levite. So I didn't understand the whole dispersion of the 10 northern tribes. I didn't understand any of that yet. I didn't understand the blindness that would happen to Israel that was prophesied in scripture. I didn't understand. And this is way back in 2001, 2002. I'm sorry, to the beginning of 2002 because my fast ended in February of 2002. And he kept touching my forehead and telling me that I was holy to the Lord. And every time I would close my eyes to pray, I would feel his hand physically on my forehead. And I would literally ask people sheepishly. One time I asked my pastor, I said, "Um, does anybody else feel God? Every time you close your eyes to pray, all of a sudden his hand is on your head. (laughs) Looked at me like I was crazy. So I never said it again to those people. And Anyway, on day 11, I run into this gentleman named Hale Harris after I got done teaching the class. I run in there, and all of a sudden, the first thing Hale said was, we are doing a Bible study, and we have been talking about how God is calling Ephraim home. (laughs) I was sitting on the floor because there were no chairs, and there was a coffee table in front of me, and I physically slammed my hands on the table and got up on my knees, and I was so wide-eyed and surprised. And I said, what did you just say? What did you just say? And he kind of sunk back in his chair. He tells the story still to this day. He was kind of his funny moment. And he got really sheepish and he said, God is calling Ephraim home right now. And I literally think I almost started screaming because, and there's tons of people here, (laughs) tons of people, but I like didn't notice them. I was so in this zone. And I said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, God has been telling me for months I'm a friend. Because remember, there was 40 days, then I had the two weeks um, that nothing was going wrong, and then all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of a 13-day fast right now, right, when this is happening. And I said, God has been telling me that. God has been telling me that. During that 13 days, he had also been telling me my home was full of idols. He had also been telling me I was following man, not him. He just kept telling me, you're following man, not me. You're following man's traditions, not me. 
I had no idea, no idea. And that night, all of a sudden, Hale started talking about how Saturday was the Sabbath, not Sunday, all through scripture, which of course, you can see that when you look at it, but you just follow what the church fathers tell you because you believe it's okay. Anyway, that is my moment in history where I truly started to yada or no Yahweh. And that very night when I submitted my life, got rid of the Christmas tree, got rid of everything pagan. And we'll go through all that, people. Don't, I mean, I, I'm not just trying to throw too much at you. I'm just telling you my story. That very night, God started, started speaking to me every night more clearly. I had more prophetic dreams than ever, more visions than ever. He started teaching me Hebrew. I, I My husband literally... Anyway, when he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was speaking Hebrew. I mean, it was Hebrew. It was no other language. And he kept saying, bless Yahweh. I mean, he didn't even, (laughs) it was just amazing. That's a whole other story for a different time. But it was so amazing because I'd already fallen in love with God for that previous year of when I had started going back to church. But I could tell something wasn't right at church. I could tell it wasn't his spirit. And God himself kept telling me that, hey, you're following man, not me. And that was my moment where I fell completely head over heels. I, I began to know him. I suppose it's a way of saying I had already ma- like committed to marrying him, but I was still in my selfish act. And you know those first years of marriage, how, oh my gosh, we're so stupid when we first get married, <laughs> usually. We're so selfish. We are so vain. And we forget that we're supposed to be focused on each other and serving each other. And so we cause all these problems from our own pride. So that was kind of, I guess, that first year of coming back. It was my pride, my pride, my pride, keeping me from just submitting to him. And then when I finally submitted to obedience, he just, he like gave me everything. It was like the wisdom that he poured into me, the understanding he poured into me, his spirit, the born again feeling, feeling so raw, so amazing. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. So if you have not experienced that, I want you to because God created you to have that experience with him. He created you to be his intimate love his intimate wife so let's talk privately okay let's back up i'm just going to read it from the beginning that same verse now adam yada or knew eve his wife and she conceived and bore cain cain means to acquire and said i've acquired a man from yahweh then she bore again this time his brother abel now abel means breath now abel was a keeper of sheep but cain was a tiller of the ground and in the process of time it came to pass that cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to yahweh Abel also brought her the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And Yahweh respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. That means he got angry and he had like an angry face. So Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should roll over it. This is going back to what we read last chapter. This, the sin here is symbolic, is symbolized by the snake coiled at the door. Think about us stepping out of the door, not knowing the snake is there, and it's trying to strike us on our heel, quote the Achilles heel, where we are weak, but we are to what? As chapter three had said, we are to bruise his head. We are to stomp on the snake. We are to overcome and not get bitten by it. And so Cain had obviously wickedness in his heart. And as we continue reading, we're going to see the wickedness Um, exposed that God obviously saw in his heart. So obviously Abel was bringing God the best of what he could and Cain was not bringing him the best of what he could. Had nothing to do with God didn't want 
grain offerings because part of the sacrificial offerings in Leviticus 7 that we're going to talk about, some of the things that God wants are the grain offerings. Some of the things God wants are of the ground, not just the animals. So that would be a mute point. He wants both. It just has to be our best, our first, our first fruits. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Okay. Anybody who would kill their brother obviously has a lot of wickedness in their heart. So I probably don't need to expound on that, but you can see what I'm talking about where I was saying there was wickedness in his heart, which God himself saw. So just keep that in mind. Then Yahweh said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, God knew. Just like when um, Adam hid himself, God did not know where Adam was. Of course God knew where Adam was. He did it to test him to see if he would confess. Here, the same thing. Yahweh knew. God knew what Cain had done because the next verse proves it. But he, he wants us to be honest and open. So if you do find yourself in a sin, confess with a repentant heart, with a sad heart, with a sorry heart. And tell God so you can overcome. The Bible talks about that. The, the righteous man confesses his sin so he can overcome. Because if you're wicked and hide your sin, you can't, it says. So, interesting point. Just wanted to point that out. And here again, boom. Am I my brother's keeper? Notice that that was said by Cain in a wicked way. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. And as we study more through the scriptures, you will see, you will see that God actually says we are accountable for each other. Now, I can't save you. You can't save me. It's not like that. But you will see through scripture where one person's sin causes sin to come upon the whole congregation or a whole family dies. Because we are a unit. We are a body. We are to have a oneness. And that oneness also means when one person is sinning or hurt, we bring other people down. So we must remember, and I've always said, I don't want to bring curses on my family. I want to bring blessings. So if you have a selfish, wicked heart, please at least think of others. And if you're doing wickedness, repent of it so you can bring blessings on them and not bring the curses. So God wants to bless us and he does bless us, but we have to be willing to try, right? Verse 10, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And the word blood there is dumb. Notice the similarity to the word Adam, man, dumb. And we have blood in us. Interesting. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain... And Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Okay, so again, who are these people? We talked about in Genesis chapter 1, when the light was separated from the darkness before the sun, moon, and stars were even created, that that is the day the fallen angels and Satan were cast out of heaven and fell to the earth. We also will read in the next few chapters where the sons of Elohim, those sons of God, the same ones that presented themselves in the book of Job before the Lord, there were wicked demons. We will see how they are these people. They came down and obviously they would kill him, right? He was saying they're going to kill him. And Yahweh said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. I have no idea what that mark was. So if any of you do, that would be awesome to share with us if God has revealed something to you. But I physically don't know. But there was something on him where they knew not to kill him. Verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of Yahweh and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. 
and Cain knew his wife. So he must have taken a wife, obviously, from one of these, I'm assuming, one of these fallen people. And, you know, honestly, on that one, I don't know where his wife came from. It doesn't say, and it's not fair for me to speculate, but we do know that the, the sons of God had fallen to the earth. So I don't know about this one. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujahel, and Mahujahel begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. Now, granted, backing up here, Abel could have had children before he was killed. But, of course, where did those wives come from? Honestly, that is a question that is not answered here, and I don't even profess to know. I can't imagine they would have married one of the fallen people, but, you know, they may have. But perhaps also somebody has said this in the beginning because it was maybe it was such a pure race that when Adam and Eve had more children because... Perhaps they had more than these three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Maybe they had daughters as well because they lived almost a thousand years. Some people have speculated that they came from them. But to be honest, on this one, I really don't know. And I don't think it's fair to say things that don't really have any scriptural evidence or proof. I just really don't know. I really don't know. So there are those instances in the Bible, guys, where if you don't know, the Bible also has a verse that says, I don't worry myself with things too complicated for me to understand in the Psalms. So... I give that one to God and to show us what it's about. Okay, so verse 19 again. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Adah bar Yaval bar Jabal, it pronounces, or it transliterates it. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. That's interesting, huh? His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. So apparently they're starting to create their crafts here. They're learning their their work and trades because you have all of a sudden the shepherd and you have the musician. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain in the structure of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So they had bronze and iron right here at this time. <laughs> and the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Then Lamech said to his two wives, Ada and Zillah hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now, I can't tell you that God honored that because Lamech blessed himself and protected himself, whereas Yahweh himself protected Cain. Obviously, he killed a man. He got angry at someone that says that because somebody wounded him. But I am not knowing, I do not know if that if that blessing held because it was his own words but we do speak life or death the light power of life and death is in the tongue so you never know verse 25 and adam knew or had relations with his wife again and she bore a son and named him seth for god has appointed another seed for me instead of abel whom cain has killed the word seth can be translated as appointed an interesting note here the lineage of david who then was the lineage of our messiah jesus yeshua comes through seth Verse 26, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began, okay, let me tell you what it reads, but I'll tell you what it actually says. Then men began to call on the name of Yahweh. It, I promise you it doesn't say that in the original language. In the original language, it, it there says, then men began to profane the name of Yahweh. So if you read the Hebrew there, you would, you would see more clearly, um, you would see more clearly that the word that is used there, here, and I'm looking it up right now as we talk, kara, um, I'm sorry, 
halal. Yeah, halal. So it actually often is translated as to profane. In other places in scripture, it is. So it's it's not right that they said that it was to call in the name of Yahweh. And I'm sorry, I'm looking it up here as we speak because for some reason my computer, you know how they go now, they, they want to... Um, they want to close on us. So if you look at the word halal, halal is the one right before what they translate as to call, but it's to profane, defile, pollute, desecrate. And that makes a lot more sense with what we're going to read in the following chapters because men began to multiply on the earth and become very wicked. And so they already knew the name of Yahweh. We see Adam walking with him in the garden. I don't think he didn't know his name. We we see them using the name of Yahweh before then. So it doesn't even make sense that that would be the time they started to call upon his name because they already knew him. They were already praying to him. They were already talking to him. But to say that's when they began to profane or profanely call on his name, that makes sense because as we're going to read, they began false religious systems very soon after this. So yes, they may have been, quote, calling on his name before, but after this, they began to profanely call on his name because they started to worship the host of heaven and do all the things which God himself had forbid them from doing. So I hope you enjoyed that. I'm sorry. Well, I don't apologize. It was a good thing to share my testimony with you. I hope it touched some of you. I just want to be there for you. I will not monetize this channel. I do not believe that we are to take money when we are helping others and spreading God's word because nobody paid Moses to hear the word of God. Nobody paid David to hear a Psalm. Nobody paid Elijah to hear the prophecy. Nobody, nobody paid Paul to be spoken to. The only thing that was provided for was the means for them to get from one end to the other. Paul, when he arrived at his places, still worked and he said, we are to work. So I just just love you guys so much. If you want to follow along again, I, f I forgot to mention this at the beginning of this episode. I typically read from the New King James Version. It is one of the closer translated forms. Please do not read the New Living Bible. It's such a bad translation, guys. I, I promise you, it is wicked. If you don't have enough money, if you need a Bible, get a hold of me. I, we, I send Bibles to people all over the world, to be honest. So, it's not that this is Hebrew, but it, the New King James Version is closer to Hebrew, and the New American Standard Bible is fantastic. So, I just appreciate you all for joining with. Please like this podcast. Please share this podcast. Please give us a good rating, and I just pray you have a super blessed day. Let's connect on Facebook, don't forget, and I will talk to you soon.